0: Welcome to a new episode of Streamed and Screened, the podcast from Lee Enterprises that is all about movies and TV shows and streaming, et cetera, et cetera. My name is Chris Lay. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee and the producer and co-host of this show, along with veteran entertainment reporter and current editor of the Sioux City Journal, Bruce Miller. So this is going to be the first of three episodes looking back at the year that was 2022, and as a fun treat for longtime listeners, returning to the co-host seat is our very dear friend, Sioux City Journal reporter, Jared McNett. Today, we're going to be running down our favorite TV shows of the year, and our list includes almost as many tearful finales as it does fantastic new shows that we are incredibly excited to see where they go from here. But wait, that's not all. As a special treat... Right up front, we've got interviews with Jennifer Ely, Amina Neves, James Dale, and Marley Shelton, who are the stars of the new Yellowstone spin-off 1923, which is set to premiere on December 18th on Paramount Plus. So mark those calendars. We're gonna have links to where you can watch 1923 in the show notes, along with all the other shows we talk about. So make sure you check those out. And hey, While you're there, why not go ahead and smash that subscribe button so you don't miss our next handful of episodes all about the best movies of 2022 and everything that we are excited for in 2023. We'll be right back with Bruce's conversation with the stars of 1923 and then our list of the best shows from this past year after this short break.
1: One of the real interesting things about the new series 1923 is that it's just all over the place. Part of it's in Africa, part of it's in Montana, part of it's at a reservation school, and the two who are there are played by Jennifer Ely, who is so great in She Said, if you haven't seen that yet, and Amina Neves, and she's a newcomer who plays one of the students there. Jennifer is the, for lack of a better term, headmistress of the school, and they they get into it with each other so here are amina and jennifer how are you two i hope great so yeah. good yeah. yeah you know jennifer you deliver my favorite performance of the year and she said and you can make small moments so great and in this you do that too what is the secret to that
2: well i think in both of them they're really extraordinary writing and i think there also there's a special <sighs> There, there's a special feeling when when you really want to tell a story and you want to be part of helping to tell a story and in both she said and in the storyline that um, Amina and I get to be a part of here in 1923 sorry I'm bad with numbers um it it i I feel that you feel like there you really want to be a part of telling the story
1: i mean when you see her doing these kinds of things i mean i would i would be bowled over and i would then also think she's like that character throughout much of the shoot in real life yes yes I say oh she's mean she's mean to me
3: she's one of my favorite humans in this universe actually I love Jennifer so much like you should see see our text thread actually
2: yeah we really adore each other um and we have a lot of trust I think um I can't imagine what it would have been like I mean you could have done this phoning it in I suppose you would have had to have if if I hadn't had somebody like you there
1: those very brutal scenes really resonate. I think they're quite heart wrenching when you see them happen, and so uh, you do a great job. But how do you guys fit into this whole greater picture? Because in the first episode, it seems like you are, you know, a whole separate show.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
3: think that's the point. Yeah, he has
2: all these these extraordinarily different stories,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I I guess we all together get to watch how they how they come together and cross.
3: And you know, it's kind of it's true life. You know, all these we, we have so many different storylines as a whole. Yeah, and our world. character,
2: I mean, a big part of our story is our isolation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it there where the school is. I mean, we're living in a ridiculous mini culture of abuse and
1: disrespect. Mm-hmm. I mean, had you been familiar with those kinds of schools? had you did you have any relatives who might have been there or been to one of them?
3: Yeah, I mean, as an indigenous person that all of those stories live within you. They've always been brought up in conversations to me since I was younger. So moving into this, it wasn't something that I didn't wasn't aware of, you know, and I knew going into this how important it is to represent our elders who have experienced this. And that's why it was so scary at first to really really be here um, and be present because I wanted to honor my family and I wanted to honor all of our relations across Turtle Island and beyond as honestly and as lovingly as I could.
1: Well, this is a story, your story, is one that I don't think has been told uh, as well as it should be told, because I, I I'm very familiar with that kind of uh, reservation school system, and boy, the stories I know it, they're heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad you are are finally bringing this to light. And I hope it. I can hardly wait to figure out how it all fills in mm-hmm. and and everybody is re- uh, connected. But please keep up the good work, and thank you so much. And thank Jennifer, you so much. I'm counting on an Oscar nomination.
2: Oh, That's no. Right. no. Right? right, will you
1: work with me on this? I'm voting,
2: I'm voting for Carrie, so I hope I, oh. I hope okay. you'll join me in hoping for her. Okay.
1: Well, she can be actress, you can be supporting. Let's go for it.
2: No, she's supporting
1: <laughs> Zoe's actor. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much, both of you.
0: So that was Amina Neves and Jennifer Ely. Uh, next up, who we got,
1: Bruce? They're kind of the glue of the show, actually. Even though Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are the stars of 1923, they're the kind of the familial connection. These two play other relatives, and they kind of keep the 1883 and the Yellowstone connection going. And you have to watch it to see how this all plays out. But they are very um, crucial to the story. James Badge Dale. And Marley Shelton play a couple in this in this whole thing. James is the right-hand man for Harrison Ford. And Marley is kind of the mother who is trying to make sure that all of the situations are somehow flourishing. And she does have a tie to the other stories that are in the whole, the whole series. Here we've got James Badgedale and Marley Shelton speaking with Bruce Miller. I'm curious about this, how familiar were the two of you with the Yellowstone world? Did you, were you big fans? Were you watching it before all this?
4: Well, I think we both were and are Taylor Sheridan fans, um, just comprehensively. I mean, from Sicario, Hell or High Water, Wind River. I mean, he's just such a prolific writer and director and producer and and certainly Yellowstone. I mean, you know, he's transforming television. Um, and making it all look so effortless I know. <laughs> <laughs>
5: um
4: yeah and then and then what kind of immediately when i signed on to do this i started watching 1883 which i binged watched and was i rabid for like i thought it was so incredible and um got me even more excited to tell our story which is the kind of next installment to me
1: well to me you seem like you're the glue you're the glue that holds this all together do you see that too or not
4: no, you know what that's um, I think there is an element of that to emma. she she is quiet. she's a quiet, stoic warrior. You know, she's she I think she's deeply invested in her family and the ranch and and preserving the traditions of the Dutton family and making sure that the legacy continues. She's sort of in service of of the Dutton family that way,
1: James, you get to be the wingman to uh, Harrison's character. What's that like?
0: Oh man we we just had a good time. I I mean what 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 a cool thing in your life to to go ride horses with um just legends. I don't know it's just fun. I learned a lot. He taught me a lot and he was he was uh, he's very kind and very humble and he also likes to have a good time while we're shooting and and that that keeps things
1: electric, you know. Is he good on the horse?
0: Oh or- yeah. Yeah, oh, he's oh, absolutely. amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
4: he has horses and he's an incredible horseman.
1: See, I just know him as a pilot. So there's my, my, another
4: skill, Harrison Forrest. Yeah, yeah. pretty good
1: pilot, too. Yeah. You know, he can take you anywhere if you really want to go there, but there you are. The thing that surprises me about this, this series of the three is that it's so disparate. There's so many different parts to it that it could be three separate series. Do you guys see that, too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's one of the coolest things about this is,
0: and especially for us is that we, we get to go watch everyone else's work, you know, and it's such a big, epic, sweeping story.
4: And I was surprised upon seeing it, how integrated these, I mean, these very different worlds, how, how it, the magic of how they all sort of, you care equally about all the, all of these different worlds that have been integrated into one show. It's, It's like nothing I've ever seen before, but it works.
1: Will we get you all together at some point or does that never happen? I can't like give away too much in that (laughs) world, you know? Are there actors that you see in the show that you say, well, we've no, don't even work with them.
4: No, because we did this cowboy camp um, that Taylor arranged um, before we started shooting. And it was two weeks where the entire cast rode horses together um, from nine to five. And we all bonded and created this camaraderie. Yeah. So even though there are, you know, we we don't all have the same storylines and um, we all feel very connected and, yeah. Yeah. and are supportive we're, we're of each we're other.
1: All, we're all coming from the same place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, that Cowboy Camp sounds like fun. I hear about it from every one of the series. So I think maybe we need to make that kind of a vacation paradise for everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, I to see it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome hey, to- thank to- you guys so much. Hey,
4: thanks for having us, man. <laughs> Take care
0: Thank you so much to Jennifer Ely, Amina Neves, James Badgedale, and Marley Shelton, stars of the new Yellowstone spinoff 1923, which is set to premiere on December 18th on Paramount+. Plus. And now, without any further ado, here are myself, Jared, and Bruce running down our list of the best TV shows of
5: 2022.
1: Hollywood, we're going to Hollywood. I think I'm getting in copyright trouble.
5: If it's off tune enough, I don't think you have to worry about it. We're good then. I think we're good.
1: 2022 year in
0: TV was very, very good. And uh, the voice you just heard singing is Bruce Miller. Hello, Bruce.
1: Baseball have been a better, better
0: good to me.
1: Remember that?
0: And uh, we also have back moonlighting coming in hot back into the, the get the guest co-hosting seat jared mcnett hello jared
5: chris it's the it's the most wonderful time of the year it's a time of lists it's a uh, list season uh listomania, if you will um from coast to coast uh, people are gathering around these lists and they're they're marveling at their wonders
0: Listomania. uh-huh gold franz list Driving, driving the, the folks crazy. <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of shows to go through. Don't even necessarily need to leave too much lead in for it. We've got uh, at number
1: 12 reservation dogs, Bruce. Really? It should be higher than 12, but I didn't do the math. So <laughs> it, maybe there, there was some kind of uh vote jimmying there. I don't know, but reservation dogs, it was very good in the first year and I know it was on my top 10 list as one of the top, top, top. And it deserves to be on this year because they were able to take these characters that could have ended last year and just kind of recycled things and took them into a new generation and a new, a new era. And it was just phenomenal what we were able to see with them. Um, DeFaro, oh, I'm gonna get his name wrong, but DeFaro who plays Bear on the show had a, 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 an episode about being a roofer that was just incredible. And it helped you understand a bit about his past and what his life is really like. Reservation Dogs would make my list, I think, every year if they had episodes like that all the time. I concur. Fantastic show. And that's on FX as well as Hulu. That whole thing with FX on Hulu, who knows what that is? You know, you, you turn to one or the other and then you think, was it on the other one? I'm not sure. But that's, uh, I hope that goes away. I hope it's either FX or Hulu. I would like to watch a good show. Can
0: I, can I just click on a thing? There's number 12. There's number 12. Number 11. Number 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch the idea of uh, everyone should watch For All Mankind on um, Apple Plus. Bum,
5: bum, 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 bum.
0: For All Mankind on Apple Plus. It is a sci fi show, sci fi drama based on the premise of what if the USSR had beaten us in the space race by a couple of months. And this is the third season where nowadays uh, we're all, we're all going for Mars. And so it's everyone ending up on Mars and uh, it's just, it's, it's really fantastic. All of the, the stakes are, are always very high. Nothing, everything feels very well earned. And uh, yeah, the, Design of it is fantastic, and uh, yeah, for all mankind on Apple Plus. So
1: that's my number eleven. Number ten. Number ten. Hacks, Bruce. Incredible, incredible. Gene Smart was for many years a great supporting actress, and now she is a great leading actress. And I do think that this could be the Mary Tyler Moore Show for the twenty first century. Watch closely, and you'll see the relationships between two generations that really. It hits at the heart of both of them, and it's funny. It's very, very funny, and you get to see that kind of aging performer slash celebrity really kind of have to dig in and, and find a new life. Wonderful show, deserves the Emmys it gets, and again, I think Jean Smart is the bee's knees, which is what she'll be called when you start talking about Babylon, because she's good in that too. She was great
0: in this. She was really good in The Watchmen Show a couple of years ago. And I can't wait to see her in Babylon
1: as well.
5: The ball really got rolling on her uh, resurgence with uh, Fargo, which she was wonderful in as the, uh, the matriarch as one of the uh, crime families in one of the seasons.
1: Mayor of Easttown, was, what was her one that she did with um, Kate Winslet? Yeah, she was great in that as the mom. Really good. So I am a Gene Smarty. I really, I want to see her get everything and have every role there is in a show. Check out Bruce over here trying to make Fetch happen. (laughs) Right, it's
5: going to
0: happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to jump in number nine with Barry, which is the HBO, it's on HBO. Bill Hader plays an assassin. Uh, This is season three. It's an assassin who basically becomes sidetracked in... In acting and in season three it took me a little bit to get there but the plot is really great and uh all of the the stuff that they're they're dealing with of you know aspirations and trying to be better than you are or you know better than your worst failures and uh also the the technique the the cinematic techniques the the technical elements are rising to meet the incredible writing and all of the great characters on the show. So another show with really great uh, stakes work, I guess <laughs> to call it that where, you know, things actually happen to people that that you care about on the show and the cliffhanger from season three leaves. I mean, it's, I mean, season four is is going to be absolutely bananas based on it. So
1: excited for that. That's number nine. They did a lot of rewriting on that because of the pandemic. So they changed the the plots uh, up a bit. And so maybe that helps.
5: Time-wise, it's yet another show now that's a 30-minute drama a lot of weeks, basically, which is the case with Barry and the case with two other shows, at least, that are on our list a little bit uh, higher up. I'm still forever fascinated with how that's become more and more of a thing in the past 10 years. The Format, as far as uh, time, does not matter much anymore.
0: Coming in at number eight, Jared, tell us about what we do in the shadows.
5: I mean, it's one of the funniest shows that's currently on TV. Um, there's my log line. Um, at, at this point, it's a finely tuned uh, joke machine. the The cast is fully in sync. And a thing I really appreciate is that the crew you know the writers and everything are willing to just keep pivoting to something funnier when they need to like the end of the third season sort of promised that the characters were going to be abroad uh and then that got scrapped almost right away in the fourth season and i really appreciate any show that's willing to be like ah never mind we found something that works a lot better and we're gonna chase that instead
1: I like the concept this year, too, of young Colin Robinson. Yes. But I'm glad that he got old enough so that we don't have to have another year of it.
5: It was, it was a great gimmick while it lasted, though, with uh, Mark Proach uh, being a baby for a while and deeply unsettling.
1: I like
0: the idea of it being a show, like you were saying, where it's, it's fleet. It's fleet of foot. It can uh, you yes. know, turn on a dime. The production process that they've got is just really tight. That was number eight. We'll be doing the shadows. And that's on, that's another one of the Hulu FX
1: joints. Number seven, Abbott Elementary. Tell me about Abbott Elementary, Bruce. I did not like it that much in its first year. I'll be honest. And everybody was kind of like, oh my God, it's so great. It was a typical sitcom. And th- the thing I hated about it was Janelle James' character as the as the principal didn't really seem like she should have the job. And I don't know why they would go so far afield with that character. And I think that was a misstep. And in the second season, they have corrected that quite a bit so that she isn't just this kind of uncaring, she is somebody who cares. It's just from a different perspective. And they keep writing to Cheryl Lee Ralph, which is a great, great move because she is money. She's money on everything. And so I think it's much better this year and it deserves to be on the list. Quinta Brunson has done a great job of creating something. She backed away this year from doing a lot of the writing and the um, producing things, you know, uh, day to day producing things so she could focus on the acting. And I think that's a good move because others get her concept and they're able to execute it in a high level. Yeah, I mean, it really is just that, you know, platonic
0: ideal at this point of what a network sitcom should be. 22 minutes bing bang boom in and out tight abc plot that all intertwine juggling characters and relationships and i i feel like i'm you know just reading a you know dictionary definition of network sitcom but it takes something special to do it as consistently and interestingly as abbott elementary has done and, and in a way that you know really keeps you on your toes
5: now that something like the Good Place is off the air as in terms of a network show. This is like the next, uh, you know, like a step of that in terms of like the shows that are actually on network TV. They're in that, uh, you know, vein of like the Mike Shore shows like The Good Place or Parks and Rec or, or The Office. I'm wondering since we just talked about this and we talked about what we do in the shadows right before, are we just forever going to be stuck with mockumentaries? Are we ever going to get out of that as a format for TV comedy?
1: It's pretty solid. You know, it's an easy way to do it where you don't really need to have a punchline. You just have to have a person look and you hold the camera on them for a little bit longer than you should.
0: I think the the question is, is it going to end up becoming lazy and, or if it's something where you're relying on it too much as a crutch Yeah, in the same way that, you know, family guy does the, the cutaways, which you know, love it or hate it is still,
1: it's abused in the wrong hands.
5: Yeah.
1: Look at Welcome to Flatch. That's one that tries too hard to follow that whole scenario. And I think they could go in another direction and be a much better show. So that is number seven, halfway through number six, Atlanta, the ATL.
0: Obviously I'm going to throw to Jared who Jared and I both did a bonus episode. You can go back yes, and find sir. talking about the series finale episode and you know, kind of going through some of our favorite bits. So definitely go back. I'll link to that in the in the show notes. But I just want to preface this, Jared. Are you going to be season three or season four? Which one are, does it go on the list? Or are you thinking of them as a one coherent unit?
5: I'll go ahead and say one coherent unit in some ways, although there's definitely a lot of incoherence uh, between the two seasons, which is totally fine because that, as we talked about on the bonus episode, was always part of Atlanta, that it could be anything from... Scene to scene, episode to episode, and season to season. And with a couple shows on the list, uh, another one that we'll get to in a little bit, this was definitely a year of saying goodbye to shows with very singular, specific visions. Um, And there is not a series that that's truer of than Atlanta. You know, the third season, which aired earlier in the year, did a lot of wandering. And then the fourth season, the final season, um, had a much clearer focus and didn't let up. And, you know, right from the opening of of season four, the episode, The Most Atlanta, which is a very apt title, kind of served as like a calling card episode in a lot of ways because you get, you know, some surreality, you get emotionality and you get hilarity, which are three of the absolute hallmarks of the show Atlanta.
0: All the itties, all the itties,
5: all of the itties. Yeah, (laughs) you get uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character, Darius, being chased around town by a woman on a scooter, which is incredibly funny but also menacing and weird and you know like i said that's the entire show in a nutshell there's never really been anything like it that's quite as adept at blending some very different emotions and very different tones
0: the legacy of it is going to be really fascinating to to see as far as what future showrunners or creators writers whatever what they take from it cuz there's so much to take but mean the thing about it to me was just the tone that they could get all of that balance in there which is not easy to do by any stretch of the imagination so for them to be you know getting that tone with all the characters as dreamlike as it can be at certain times and the idea that you can turn it on and all of a sudden you're watching a you know a mockumentary type thing that doesn't you know, where that doesn't involve any of the characters from the show. I mean, and and you're just like, oh,
1: oh, Atlanta. (laughs) Like, oh, you. (laughs) (laughs) For me, that first, the kind of the defining episode was the Teddy Perkins one. Yes. Season one or two. I don't remember which one of those it was. Season two. Season two, where it really didn't come with the whole cast. It wasn't everybody there. It was one of them going off on an adventure. And then they meet this kind of weird guy who vaguely resembles... Michael Jackson, and that is Atlanta. That is how they were able to go with, and they had other episodes like that, where it was a one-off and you think, what is this? We don't even see the characters. And I think that's what was the joy of of Atlanta is that it took the risk that you don't need to see the same four Seinfeld characters that you see every week doing the same shtick that they do every week. They could do different things and they could go different places like Europe, which happened this last
5: year. (laughs) I do wonder to what you were kind of posing if this show will end up being that influential, if only because I can't imagine someone who's coming up and trying to come up with their own vision, watching this show and thinking, yeah, I could do something similar to this or I could do a, a riff on this because it seems like a very tough hill to climb.
0: It's a tough hill to climb. And I mean, again, I I feel like this, like we're, we're heading towards that tipping point of turning this into another Atlanta podcast because <laughs> we could you know go on and on and on but it really it's a perfect cast it's also something that only could have happened when it happened because of who donald glover was and where he was at in his career arc i mean like there's so many aspects of it that really just come down to that reasonable people can disagree about the third season but anything that you would consider a miss or a whiff you know from from those first two seasons is like still you know head and shoulders above 90% 90% of any other television. But like I said, we've got that bonus episode. Go check that out where we go into way more depth. That was number six, Atlanta. Uh, number five, Bruce. Speaking of changing up casts and, uh, and and traveling to Europe, let's talk about the White Lotus.
1: It might've been number one on my list last year, but I thought the series still held up in the second ter- year. And I think that the key to that was having Jennifer Coolidge kind of cross over. She was the glue that brought us over. And then that everybody now is talking about the last episode of that. So I don't wanna spill too much in case you haven't seen it, but it does kind of help get us onto another level for season three. And basically the White Lotus talks about how kind of obnoxious rich people are (laughs) and what they feel that they can buy their way out of. and. How they get so deep into these situations that it's like, what? And you're supposed to be having fun? It's ridiculous. But they had a lot of uh interesting characters this time. And like I say, I like Jennifer Coolidge and I like the idea that she was still with the, the show. She was my touchstone for a second season. I don't think it's better than the first season, but I do think it's very good.
5: Where would you like to see them go next? What's the next resort gonna be?
1: Would rich people go to some place like Disney World? <laughs>
5: we get the upper class version of the Florida project.
1: Right. Where they feel like they can buy their way, which is what's happening now. They're charging you extra to be able to get on rides. I don't know. I, you know, really wherever Mike white wants to go on vacation is where it's going to go because he has to spend how many months there and Hey, the world's your oyster.
0: Honestly. I would like to see them in Antarctica. That would be because I know there are, you know, actual. (laughs) No, I mean like there aren't like resorts or anything.
5: They do they do summer tours and stuff.
1: Yeah, there is a tourism industry going to Antarctica. They could do a cruise somewhere, and that might be a way to get people together. So they're kind of, you know, if we went on a cruise to Antarctica, there you go.
0: So that's uh, number five. White Lotus. It's on HBO. The season finale just finished. So binge that if you can. I know, Bruce,
1: you binged the first. I saw like the first five, then I had to wait for six, and then I got seven. There was a lot of ironing done, can I just say? I iron while I watch some of those shows so I don't feel like I'm really a slug. So that's number five. Number four, saying goodbye again.
5: Speaking of slugs or uh, people who behave uh, like slugs at times.
0: Better call Saul. Yes, sir. The AMC. Juggernaut. Doc review Juggernaut.
5: <laughs> I'm so annoyed with people that would say that that was what the show was in the first season or two, especially because of uh, how Better Call Saul evolved over time. I was thinking about this, and it's difficult enough to conclude one show, but the final season of Better Call Saul basically had to be a coda for two shows. It had to be a coda for Saul and for Breaking Bad, and that's An incredibly unenviable position to be in, but I don't know a lot of folks who thought that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould failed in closing the curtains on like more than a decade of telling this massive story about the drug trade in the Southwest. That's such a preposterous thing to try to undertake. And they, they did it.
0: It's a monstrous uh, beast for them to have wrangled
1: and they nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the sad thing is, is that it never won the Emmy.
5: I was going to say that it finally better rake in as many Emmys as humanly possible because it deserves it.
1: It could be one of those ones that just goes away and you go, why did they skip that? Why did that one not win?" Yeah, that was number four. Better Call Saul.
5: Better Call Saul.
1: In our musical top hits. Hey, we're spinning the hits here today and we're going to try and find out what's number three right now. Number three. This is going to hurt. Tell us, Bruce. This was my number one. And I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I really, really, really love this show because for years I've wondered, what is it really like to be a doctor? And I think this shows you all of those kind of downsides of being a doctor. And it had a nice touch for this young man who was trying to preserve what his family wanted him to do. And yet he was breaking away and trying to do what he wanted to do. And he's caught in the middle of all of this world. And then he's in a system that is not cutting anybody a break. People are complaining all the time that they're not getting the health care that they deserve. And he's being run ragged all the way around the hospital. I, I mean, it was wonderful. And it has Ben Wishaw, who I think is one of the great underrated actors of our times. He's also in um, Women Talking a film this year and i think he's incredible in that too you watch this guy he is he is the daniel day lewis of our times right now and i really think that this is one of those things you're going to look at and you're going to say you know what that was really really good so if you haven't seen it please 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 go see this is going to hurt
5: he's the daniel day lewis of uh, playing talking uh, bears also
1: there you go there you <laughs> <Yes>. go <laughs> i mean Everybody's doing voice work these days, right? Like it's the yeah. that's, that's the go-to. If you're Paddington, you know you got it made.
0: This is going to hurt. It's on AMC, and it was a co-production between AMC
1: and BBC One. It's just a mini-series, right? Like it's over. It's like six episodes, and that's it. It might have been more or less, but I think it was six. So hop right in, everyone. Number two, number
0: two. I'm going to take the uh, take the wheel here. I'm going to just preach some uh, some praise on Andor. The Disney Plus show, which is a prequel to Rogue One, which was a prequel to the Star Wars episode four. This came out of the same year that Obi-Wan was, you know, getting, I think, a lot of the, the promotional push with Ewan McGregor returning to that character.
5: How'd that one go?
0: It's fine. I mean, but like, it's like <laughs> the most fanservice-y of those things. It was, you know, hey we've got a a little kid who's going to get you know escorted around by an older person it felt very much like the same beats that that we we'd seen in so many of these star wars things and andor just does so much more i mean it throws everything out it's this spy story it is this you know meditation on a, a revolution in the in the very early stages you know what what is it that's going to uh, you know actually get somebody to to really turn into that that revolutionary uh character absolutely fantastic i've recommended the show to to folk, to a lot of folks and usually it's like yeah i'm like you know one or two episodes in i don't know what's really going on and then by the time you're like four episodes in i mean it this first season it's like three different shows more or less it, like the settings just change it, it's yeah Created and uh, mainly written by Tony Gilroy, who were my, uh, the Michael Clayton fans.
5: I was about to say, Tony Gilroy, who made Michael Clayton one of the greatest films of the 21st century, full stop.
0: Yeah, talking <laughs> about, speaking of doc review, and uh, yeah, he also wrote and directed The Bourne Legacy, uh, Duplicity, and yeah, just a incredibly talented writer, and what he's done with this show upends all of the the expectations that that you have. And it it shows that the the grounds for for storytelling within the Star Wars universe are are way more fertile than we've seen explored thus far.
1: You know, I think that Disney went wrong when they wanted to try and kind of keep a a similar narrative with all of their films. I like the idea that you get a stray director directing in that universe, like a Taika Waititi would be a, you know, I, I think he was mentioned in, some passing in all of this, where you get a different view. And that's what happened with this. It was like, I don't care what you guys are saying. We don't need to worry about merchandising. We don't need to worry about all these other things. Let me just make a show. And that's what he did. And I think it's like, isn't it two years or or two and a half years or something? Yeah.
5: Which definitely helps too when like, you already know exactly how long you're going to be telling the story for.
1: And I mean, when I was
0: saying it's a prequel, it's like we know what happens to most of the characters that we meet over the course of the series Uh, and it's all about the journey not the destination and uh, yeah it's a fantastic show so i I mean it's you know making a lot of top whatever lists and i would imagine that when the second season is coming out everyone is going to suddenly rediscover it but yeah get ahead of the curve if you are not already big thumbs up here one of the one of the few shows that was on all of our lists is number one and it's the bear and again just to i think i I said this before we were maybe recording but this list i mean it really is you could throw it at random and be like okay i get it you're gonna quibble with some things but all of these are really just fantastic shows and you could move them all around and still have some of the best tv i mean i really feel like Two thousand and twenty two is going to go down as one of the best years of TV, new and old
1: if you're looking for some way to get out of being with the relatives over the holidays, just say we've got to work through this list. I haven't seen some of these shows. here's my opportunity to binge, and you won't go wrong. you won't have to talk to relatives, but you won't go wrong with the shows so yeah, so let's start Bruce why don't you uh the number one one that we all agreed on was the bear, and the bear uh, it Starts out as well. Okay, I think I know what this is going to be. It's like that Bradley Cooper thing where somebody's in the kitchen and it is so not that. Um,
5: Jeremy, that was that one, if I remember what, correctly. What was it called? Bunt. Bunt.
1: Yes, no, this is this is sizzle. This is good. Jeremy Allen White from Shameless plays this kind of high end chef who goes back to his family restaurant, which basically they make sandwiches in Chicago, right and realizes that this place needs something different. And so he's gonna try and shake things up. Meanwhile, his brother has like driven it in the ground. His brother is dead. He's gotta try and keep the family business going. He's a mess. And how he rebuilds this is just a marvel. And then you get a perfect final episode that goes oh wait a minute here what is what was that what did we discover that is so great it it sets it up for the next season in a way that you can't believe it
0: sets it up for the next season and i'm almost worried because the i mean it's it's not so much that like the the second season is going to have a new set of gears it's like i mean this was just a uh i mean the first season was like a, you know, like a Huffy bike that was really, really cool. And, you know, but like low end. And then, I mean, we're talking, you know, like a racing bike is what's next. And it's going to be a different feeling. I I have faith, but I'm very interested to see where everything goes from there. And yeah, the way that every single character, the details that were revealed about them, I mean, it's, it's a show that rewards patience. The first couple episodes drove me crazy and caused me physical anxiety.
5: Yeah. I mean, the the first episode beyond being just anxiety inducing, which it absolutely was, definitely did as good a job as any pilot I've seen in a while of like very perfectly laying all of the stakes <clears> and mapping, mapping the boundaries. Yep. Yeah.
0: And it's also one where you have, you know, these kind of interesting technical flourishes like, I mean... They did that one episode. That was an entire, you know, pretty much a single uncut camera shot, more or less, in this tight little kitchen. And the way that that would have had to have been choreographed. I mean, you're doing the absolute most with the little that you have, and uh, you know, maybe that's that's the that's a metaphor for cooking. But
5: and then Chris, you mentioned you know the character details. Also, uh, another thing the show gets perfectly right. Is just the details of, of the place and the location. Like i I've spent plenty of uh, time in Chicago over the years and eaten at quite a few uh, like places that are just like the one uh, that we see in the Bear, and they could not nail it more perfectly than they do of exactly how like the the staff at that kind of place interacts and like you know who the the regular clientele is. It's 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 perfect in that respect too.
1: Well, and then they try to introduce new technology. And they're just like lost. What is this crap that we're having to deal with? It it was great. I wanted to go there. Isn't that weird where you go to, you watch a show and you say, you know what? That's a place I'd like to visit. And you don't say that much. I don't know that I want to go to Sicily now after White Lotus, but I do think I want to go to the original beef of Chicagoland because I think I could have a really good sandwich there.
5: Well, it is based on a real place. Uh, Mr. Beef uh, in Chicago is the place it's based on.
1: Well, then we're going. We're
0: headed there. I'm all for it. Yeah, we'll do a streamed-in-streamed uh, streamed con, uh, 2023. So that's our list. I threw in a list of like the honorable mentions, which are still just a sterling bunch of shows. Only Murders in the Building, Under the Banner of Heaven, which was one of the, the ones that Jared rode really hard for. Big fan. We Own This City, developed by George Pelicanos and David Simon. The rehearsal, which is one of the most challenging... <laughs> Works of, I mean, you can't even really call it fiction. Meta fiction? Meta documentary? <laughs> Scary is what it is. I don't know. The one that was like the closest
1: on the knife's edge for me was The Old Man. Did you guys both watch The Old Man? Yeah. I don't like confined things like where they're in the car forever. And that seemed <sighs> like too many scenes. I really, I'm sorry. And I think John Lithgow is a, an acquired taste. Just me talking. Just me talking. I, you know what? I, I can't deny
0: that that is just you talking. Yeah.
5: Chris, I uh, took a look at the old man and I found that I'm a lot like him. You know?
0: You're out here just looking at your life?
5: Yeah, I am. Yes. <laughs>
0: God. Well, on that note, that's yeah, not going to get better or worse <laughs> than that. That's our list of the top TV shows of 2022. Let us know what you think in the comments and the in the reviews and what you thought was uh worthy exactly we'll have links in the show notes to everything as well as links to 1923 which premieres december 18th on paramount plus jared we've got you on so you want to you want to take us out with a uh, one, one of your patented toodaloo's
5: one of my stem winders Well, we're talking we talked shows today so i can't really say you know uh screen something uh good so just uh you know plop down on your couch or uh, i guess uh, position yourself behind your ironing board that's me for bruce and uh stream something good you know from the comfort of your own home we
0: will be back next week with our list of the the top movies that we are most looking forward to from 2023 that are coming up so make sure that you are subscribed thank you to you i'm gesturing towards the the zoom camera here jared and bruce And thank you, I'm gesturing more broadly to the sky where our listeners live. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll be back next week with all that good stuff. And
1: goodbye. Hey, I'm Bruce Miller. I'm from the Sioux City Journal. And... And wouldn't you love to go to that vampire nightclub? No, I think I'm good.